You're listening to Legal Design Podcast. We are your hosts, Nina Toivonen and Henna Tolvanen. In this episode, we have the pleasure to meet with Marco Imperiale. Marco is a very creative lawyer who works as the head of innovation at an Italian attorneys at law, LCA. Marco explains why innovation is needed in the legal industry and how to incorporate innovation into daily work in law firms. We also discuss if legal design is really that powerful as it often is presented. Hi, Marco, and welcome to the Legal Design Podcast. We know you as an innovative lawyer, an inspirational speaker, and the co-author of recently published book called Legal Design, Come il design semplificare il diritto. What would you like to tell our listeners about yourself? So first of all, hi, Hannah. Hi, Nina. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. I'm pretty glad about that. Regarding me, uh, well, I'm a lawyer, a mediator. I'm the head of innovation of a fir- in a firm, LCA, in Milan. Uh, but I, I think that I'm very proud of also of the uh, not so legal stuff, you know, the fact that I've seen 1,000 concerts worldwide, the <laughs> memo, I have oh, a wow. motorcycle, wow. yeah, that is called Blackie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've run a marathon in Cambodia and pretty other crazy things in my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that, you know, just gives a little bit of spice about creativity and what it can add to the, uh, to my legal work. Oh, wow. It's right. so great to have <laughs> you with us. Um, and congratulations about the book again. Uh, it seems that this year 2021 is some sort of a breakthrough year for legal design releases. We've already seen many uh, legal design books being published this year. And your book with Barbara De Muro has been one of the first, even if not the first one, if I remember correctly. Um, how did you initially get the idea for a legal design book, Marco? Oh, wow. That's a very beautiful question. Um, yeah, it's the first Italian book and one of the uh, first ones worldwide in 2021 was, I mean, and pretty happy about it, a big year for mm-hmm. uh, legal design and for books regarding legal design. Uh, I think it's a matter of factors. On the one hand, uh, the fact that since several years we are collaborating uh, with clients and institutions on legal design projects. And so basically we have a track record of legal design works and Barbara is also teaching legal design in Catholic University Milan. And so we are considered as legal designers with a capital L and capital D at least in the Italian territory. And on the other hand, um, a famous Italian publisher, Giuffre Francis Lefebvre, probably the most important Italian publisher for legal books as does how about doing a book on legal design? Mm. And we say, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. And uh, we underestimated the fact that we did basically all the writing during the pandemic. So it was a very unique uh, way of uh, collaborating. So lots of online calls, lots of brainstorming on Miro, uh, lots of calls with clients uh, and friends all over the world. But uh, I I think it worked out pretty well. We are very proud of the results. And regarding the book, uh, I, I think that, I mean, writing a book on legal design is not right. Writing a book about uh, uh, motorcycles, guitars, or even, you know, private law. Uh, I think it's something different. So I would say the 80% of the job was 
what do we want to put in the book and how do we want to put these things in the book? And the 20% was the writing part because once you have everything clear in your mind, then uh, you, know, uh, you have a green light and you can go. So uh, after several, well, I would say hundreds of hours of discussions, but probably I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you got the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we decided to have this kind of structure. So the who, the what, the where, the how, uh, and uh, the where of legal design. Um, and then uh, we also uh, took into account uh, something, uh, you know, about uh, legal language, something about visual language, and something about uh, the structure and the composition of uh, um, legal texts. And then uh, it's uh, tons of examples from our experience in LCA and from uh, all over the world. Mm. Yeah, I loved the book. Well, I'm not fluent in Italian, but I read the book or well, read it. Thanks, I love it because there's <laughs> so many different examples from different branches of law. So you really showcase that it's, it's a great working tool, whatever you do in law. It's not just for legal documents or for something else. You can incorporate into everything within legal. I, I mean, yes, I mean, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for uh, your kind works. But the core is that once you get into the point that legal design can be applied to everything that it's legal, whether it's internal policies, whether it's communications to the citizens, whether it's contracts, uh, uh, then uh, I think that you're strengthening your position, providing a big range of examples. Uh, plus, uh, uh, you know better than me that legal design is basically adopting uh, the Huber-centric approach, the Amazon-centric approach, the Netflix-centric approach. So something that it starts with the final user and going backwards to the legal field. And so we just showed uh, to the audience that the final outcome of the co-creation process can be a comic a final outcome of the co-creation process can be a flowchart. Of course, it can be an infographic. Of course, it can be a contract with icons and a simplification of the language. But infographic is not the only way of considering legal design. I think that legal design is way more than putting some visual elements and simplifying. It's a matter of being clear and being totally in line with what the user, the customer, the client truly wants. And I would say that identifying with the personas, the customer journey, uh, the pains, the touch points, what your, uh, who your typical customer user is, uh, is uh, I would say the 50% of the job at least, because it's very, very difficult. Yeah, the book is um, currently uh, only in Italian, if I'm correct. Well, there will be yeah. an English translation available later. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, so many people are, <laughs> are asking that all over the world. And uh, I wish I could say it's a work in process. Uh, through this, I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's a matter of combining several elements. The sales element, uh, the... Um, 
the part of uh, putting them in commerce, not only in Italy, but worldwide. So analyzing the different sales channels. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, our willingness to, um, to put our effort in an international version of the book. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this because uh, maybe we could focus uh, our efforts on a second version of the book in Italian about the process of legal design. Mm -hmm. And, uh, or maybe about a book with some uh, examples uh, of um, maybe a joint collaboration book with our design thinking company or with some clients. So we are evaluating the different options and uh, I would say that you will hear from us soon, <laughs> as soon as we recover from this effort. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we're taking into account also the possibility of doing an international version. Great. Okay, so let's move on to our next topic. Um, the talk or hype around legal innovations, legal tech and legal design has made many of us, including we three, I guess, believe in the power of design mindset, process and methods as the cure for the outdated legal industry. Uh, however, uh, this is my uh, gut feeling that when we look at the way, for example, how legal organizations still mostly run today, it seems that not much has yet changed at the grassroots level. Lawyers still don't feel comfortable making customer surveys, user personas, or they don't organize design sprints as part of their normal everyday lawyering duties. It's the same old, same old still. Um, it's of course possible that this view is a bias and surely it is in some content. Um, but that actually legal practitioners are way more innovative than we legal design evangelists like to think. And one reason for this could be that there is actually no one clear definition for what legal design is or what is a legal innovation. And, and people use many different ways to conceptualize and and, and they en emphasize different aspects. So it's possible that people actually are doing legal design in their, as part of their, their daily work without naming or labeling it as legal design. Marco, do you think this is, is this a problem? Well, th this is the kind of question I could literally speak for hours about, but first of all, I, 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 I want you to tell me do you want me to be honest and sincere and transparent or do you want me to be politically correct? Because I think that I would give probably two different versions <laughs> of my answer. Please be honest. Yes. Be we honest, be honest and transparent. Okay. <laughs> yes, so please. Yeah. Okay, let, let, let's start the monologue. I think that the first element <laughs> we have to address is the definition of legal design. Yeah. In our book, we decided to give a different definition of legal design uh, <clears throat> to the one provided by the Legal Design Alliance, mm -hmm. you know, a, an approach to make human-centric legal documents. So we focus on the element of a discipline about the um, designing documents that are, you know, starting from the user. And uh, in the difference between discipline and approach, there is a word, because we decided to make it kind of, this is a serious thing and it's not an approach, it's not a mindset, not everybody can be a legal designer. Of course, it's a personal, um, it's, 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 it's a personal quote and uh, 
I am pretty confident that in 2025, all of us will have a different definition of legal design because one of the beauty of legal design is that it's, uh, it's changing, you know, nothing, uh, nothing is, uh, is stuck, nothing is fixed. And, and so five years from now, we will have a different definitions because our customers will change, our clients will change, the institutions will change, the big law scenario hopefully will uh, change. Uh, regarding uh, the lack of innovation inside law firms, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I think that it's not a matter of lawyers not adopting um, an innovative mindset, which is, uh, I'm not expecting lawyers to code. I'm not expecting lawyers to be expert of design thinking. I'm not expecting lawyers to be expert in project management. I don't expect lawyers to be developers, to be engineers. I mean, lawyers should be great lawyers. I think that the trick is uh, the collaboration with external providers. So the market is very interesting in the joint package, lawyers plus developers, lawyers plus design thinkers, mm. lawyers plus uh, uh, engineers and uh, lawyers plus uh, ESG experts. What does it mean in practice? It means that uh, everybody on the paper is pretty happy and confident. We are a diverse and collaborative law firm. We have the teams of engineers and developers and design thinkers and blah, blah, blah. And we offer these services to the client. But once you scratch the surface, you realize how difficult it is for lawyers to relate with designers, for lawyers to relate with devs, for lawyers to relate with engineers. They have a different mindset, they have a different structure, they have this kind of prototyping approach and uh, the, the value that they give to time is totally different. So we're stuck with a double hour rate and they're not. And uh, the relationship they have with time is, uh, is different mm. because they are way more stuck to us specific task. So maybe I want to go 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. I don't have to be in the meeting at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. And so it's a matter of, of adopting a new mindset, which is the co-creation mindset. And this is what we're trying to do as legal designers. What does it mean in practice? Uh, it means that uh, you just create a big giant table, whether it's virtual or real, where you put the legal professionals, the facilitators, the designers, the legal tech professionals, the graphic designers, which you know, you know better than me are not design thinkers, plus the clients. And uh, we realize together that one plus one is three. Now, getting back to your question, why law firms are not changing, I mean, this is a big mind, big shift in mindset because usually in law firms, uh, I mean, lawyers are, law firms are a lawyer's thing. We are, you know, the ones that know the law. We are the ones providing legal advice. We are the ones helping clients. And yeah, there are business services which uh, are devoted to helping us performing better our work as a lawyer. And... Uh, accepting that, uh, you know, on the, on the first day I'm a partner in a law firm and the day after I'm in a table with design thinkers and uh, maybe professionals on my firm and developers. And uh, my role at the table is the same of the others. 
and accepting that uh, I, you know, each view matters. Accepting that the product of a team is different than the product I could provide as a lawyer. That's very hard. Mm-hmm. That's very hard. It, requi- yeah. it requires trust mm-hmm. and it requires an enlightened firm. There's also ego involved. So, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, we, as lawyers, uh, we are like doctors. You know, we, 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 we find pride in the fact that we spend 10, 15, 20, 25 years learning something and provide this, this kind of advice to the client, which is pretty valuable because the market is willing to pay for it. And, uh, and so uh, accepting to have a dialogue uh, with a developer or a graphic designer and not being the expert in uh, uh, coding or in graphic design, that requires a leap of faith. So I think, but that just made two sense, that uh, I'm not expecting law firms to be innovative. I'm not expecting law firms to be software houses. If I want a software, I go to the software house. If I want legal advice, I go to law firms. I'm, I, I think that the trick uh, for me, uh, at least as a lawyer, is being in a law firm that is 20 to 30% more innovative than their peers. It's mm-hmm. a matter of public health and you know, well-being. Uh, sometimes you know, we, we do crazy hours and not because of us, but because of our clients or because of the deals we are doing. So it's pretty difficult to say, yeah, I care about mental health, I care about you know, well-being and I am working in big law. Sounds like a contrast on its own. Yeah. So the trick is basically staying in an environment that is 20 to 30% better than the average big low environment. If you reach this kind of level, because everybody is is facing these challenges, I think that uh, somehow, some way, you you tricked all the system. So maybe one day in the legal world, uh, it will happen what happened in the music industry in 1999. So mm-hmm. Napster comes and disrupt the industry. And so you have this recording industry, the billion dollar environment, the 1999 was the heyday for the music industry. And, uh, and soon uh, everything changes. People don't give value to music anymore. And even now after 20 plus years, the 60% of people buy subscriptions to Spotify, to Apple Music mm-hmm. because of the playlist and not because they value music. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to stop this hemorrhagic, uh, (laughs) this lack of uh, income for the recording industry, uh, it took lots of years, 16 or 17 years, and uh, neither iTunes or Spotify at their introduction were able to stop this phenomenon of collapsing. Maybe something like this will happen to Mm -hmm. and uh, and everything will change. If something changes, it's because of our clients. And as long as clients are not asking for law firms to be software houses or law firms to be, you know, legal design product sellers, that's not going to happen. And uh, what do clients want? Clients want someone they can trust. As I told you, it's something like doctors. If I have a pretty bad sickness and I need to have surgery, who do I search for? 
the best possible hospital with the high-tech, very cool machinery or a surgeon that has a track record of 100% of success. I'm searching for the surgeon. Exactly. Yeah. So as long as you are good in what you're doing, the client is still trusting you and puts value in that. But, you know, I mean, clients are changing and are way more aware of the process. I mean, it was kind of unconceivable 20 years ago to have legal operations department dealing with, you know, how data are treated, what kind of resources are you staffing and how much I'm paying you by the hour, how many hours are you putting on this kind of deal and blah, blah, blah. But this is what happens. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty curious. I think that this is a free, very exceptional moment in history to be a lawyer mm-hmm. as long as you accept that the profession you will do is not the one of your grandma or grandpa. So as long as you are able to face this challenge, it's a great moment to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And it's a great moment to be a doctor. You are just not doing (laughs) what, uh, (laughs) you are not doing what what your grandpa was doing. But uh, if you want to heal people, you know, medicine has never been Mm -hmm. so advanced like in these years. Mm. Yeah. Like these old traditional professions, they're not about to disappear anywhere. They just evolve. Yep. Exactly. Hey, um, so let's roast legal design a bit because it often is presented in a way that leaves one thinking if there is anything negative to say about legal design or will it just magically fix all the problems for the legal industry? What do you think, Marco? Is there something that legal design can't do? And should we consider some other methods as well when making the law better? Wow, another beautiful question. Uh, I'm an, kind of a enthusiast of legal design, and you know better than me. I'm Italian. I'm optimist by nature. <laughs> but I, I think that the problem as legal designer, and I try to be as sincere, transparent, honest as possible, is that doing legal design is amazingly hard, is amazingly difficult. I think that as legal designers, we have a duty and we as a community to say that loud and to highlight with clients in social media posts, doing this is not a matter of icons. It's a matter of, it's a, it's a huge amount of effort, a huge amount of time and sometimes you know, you, uh, it's also a lack of revenue because you are investing so many hours in the project that you can just put doing billable time. And so it's a matter of betting on not so tangible KPI and ROI. And I think that as long as we accept the difficulty of putting different uh, minds at the same table, the length of the process and the difficulty of uh, investing with enlightened clients in co-creation product, there's nothing we can do it. At the same time, I am pretty afraid of this kind of, yeah, we are legal designer in just five minutes, we will help you doing <laughs> this work. I mean, uh, uh, this is something that, uh, especially in the social media world, can be pretty pretty dangerous and uh, uh, one of our clients was just uh, you know Marco uh, we did this kind of legal design product with a marketing agency and uh, 
at the end of the day, we just didn't lie because the contract was void. And, uh, and I was, I got to tell you, this is what we are doing with you is not a mark, what a marketing agency, what a communication agency does. This is a long process. We spend tons of hours with the personas, the customer journey, the touch point, and the KPIs and the rise of your team will be pretty different than what you expect now because you will be more aware of your, what your marketing team is doing, what your R&D teams is doing, what our legal, you know, other professionals are doing. And uh, you will be more aware about the fact that uh, maybe your clients uh, have this kind of approach with uh, your legal documents. But at the same time, it means long meetings. It's a huge effort and someone has to pay for it. It's a big commitment from the company. And mm-hmm. so as long as I say it to a yeah, small commitment, you can do it in the weekend and you know, five days and you can be a legal designer. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that, I think it's pretty dangerous. And I think that in legal innovation is pretty much the same. When you just realize the 40% of legal tech startups don't have artificial intelligence, but they say that you have artificial intelligence. I work with artificial intelligence. I know how hard it is to do machine learning and neural language processing. I know how hard it is to work with developers. And uh, when all the startups are saying, yeah, let's go with the legal tech vibe and changing the world with robot lawyers, I think that we are damaging ourselves. So as a community, I think that the sky's the limit as long as we are aware how difficult it is to be a legal designer, how difficult it is to enjoy co-creation and put different points of view uh, at the table. So um, I think it's up on us. Yes. Yeah. Talking about uh, difficulties, do you think there are some fundamental obstacles within the legal system that design just cannot overtake, even if we are looking through the pinky design lenses and everything can can be re- redone, at least in theory? Well, um, as long as you have a great legal design team, you know, with the lawyers, the design thinkers, the graphic designers, the facilitators, and you're willing to put this team on the market, whether to institutions or to clients, can be small clients, can be multinational companies in various industries. I think that uh, everything is related to the commitment of uh, uh, the contractor. So as long as the institution is willing to put lots of money, lots of effort, uh, kind of high priority, and uh, um, last but not least, lots of time in terms of scheduling, because in my experience, scheduling the meetings in legal design is the hardest part. Uh, well, I think that everything can, can change, whether it's, uh, uh, it's um, regulations, whether it's contracts, whether it's communications to the consumers, whether it's internal policies. And, uh, and so I, I don't think that uh, the problem is in the outcome. I think that the problem is in the process. Well, it's pretty difficult to speak with an institution or speak with a big client and articulating the value so you should give me your best lawyers for 10 sessions, three hours each, put in this amount of money and have faith. I mean, this, this is pretty difficult mm-hmm. to sell, but this is mm-hmm. what we sell. Mm-hmm. So 
And you know, after the translation, you don't have uh, you know the final version. You have a prototype. <laughs> and how about uh, you know, and this prototype, uh, you know what what is what is the video prototype that uh, you test it and it changes is never mm-hmm. the same. So it mm-hmm. continues to change. And they're just so we need to hire you in terms of recurring revenue to change the prototype. I say, you know, we don't know about that. But we can be sure that this is not definitive because as long as you are stick to the consumer, the consumer is changing and the scenario is changing and the legal field is changing. So we want to sell a different method uh, to do uh, work. And it's pretty beautiful to see that once you work with them, they, they say, and this is pretty frequent because it happens all the time, apart from the fact that, that they are happy about the outcome. It's just, we hired you for A, but we just realized B. Mm-hmm. So through the legal design process, we understood better in our legal function team, how our marketing works or what are your strengths and weaknesses. It's something like, you know, you're not expecting legal design sessions to be very therapeutic sessions but this is what happens because you're working on acknowledgement you're working on acknowledgement of your consumer you know acknowledgement of your team you're learning different methods and you're spending time knowing yourself and this is pretty rewarding as i was saying you're just asking your client how about putting this amount of money and their faith and they're just so okay, so you work with A and you work with B and this is your track record and this is your portfolio. So you guarantee me that at the end of the process and at the end of the money, I will obtain this. It just, no, I don't guarantee anything because I don't know what your consumer wants. I can explore and spend time with you to know what your consumer really wants. And we will see together what they really want and we will help you providing this something. And so it's pretty difficult to elaborate. And once you get into this mindset, sky's the limit. You can make impact analysis, you can make experiments with psychologists or um, professors of economics. We are doing this. And uh, because uh, they are very much into this uh, new concept of dealing with law, dealing with contracts, dealing with things. But uh, the, the initial act of faith which is also connected from uh, on, a, on a money perspective, because uh, whether you are a company doing legal design or you're a law firm doing legal design, someone has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So as long as this uh, act of faith and commitment uh, is uh, kind of, uh, is, is made concrete by a significant amount of money, I think that big things can happen. Mm-hmm. Same for institutions. Oh, wow. What an answer. That was just really great. <laughs> I loved every word. So, Marco, you also work as a mindfulness trainer, and this is really exciting. And Christmas is lurking just around the corner, and it's a busy season for everybody in the legal industry and in general. While trying to finish everything before the year ends, while doing Christmas shopping and trying to get take the perfect picture for this year's Christmas card and... <laughs> doing all the mumbo-jumbo for Christmas, how to maintain mindfulness in this busy season without going ballistic? Wow, another topic I could really speak for hours. And 
uh, I would say that I'm, I'm saying that something is pretty simple to say, but pretty difficult to practice for us. I mean, uh, when we speak about mindfulness, you have this kind of esoteric view about mindfulness, what really is. Uh, but mindfulness is pretty simple in practice. It's basically enjoying a glass of wine on the first day, enjoying a glass of the same wine on the second day, enjoying a glass of the same wine on the third day, and recognizing the difference between the first, the second, and the third day. You think that the wine is the same, but the wine is not. The air is different. The taste is different. You are different. The vibe is different. The environment is different. And the acknowledgement of this difference is basically the sense of life. So how do you do in practice? This is something that is pretty hard for lawyers. So you switch off your phone. You switch off your email. You switch off your mind. And you do one thing at a time, whether it's reading a book, whether it's enjoying a glass of wine, whether it's enjoying a, a pasta dish. And soon after you, you develop this kind of mindset day by day, without thinking about that, your mind will be emptier and you will be more emotionally balanced, more calm and more fresh. So being emotionally balanced is not a matter of a goal. It's a consequence of uh, trying to have an empty mind in uh, all your personal and professional life, which is very, very, very hard to do. Someone uh, can find some tricks to be more mindful, you know, trying to find a day, um, a time in a day where you're basically full into something, whether you are running on the river, uh, whether you are reading a book, uh, whether you are having a massage, swimming in a pool, trying to find a moment where you're not interrupted. It's a moment for you that you can enjoy fully without music, without external distractions, without children, without anything. And uh, sooner than you expected, you will find that uh, you're a little bit more balanced than uh, uh, you were last year. And then year after year, maybe you will find enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope for that. <laughs> yes, looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you, Marco. Very interesting discussion. Very good points. Uh, you made about the current status of the legal design movement and our, where our industry is heading. <laughs> Just brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to you. I, I enjoyed it very much. And I, I wish everyone a good week. But more than everything, I, I truly hope to see you soon and thank you because, you know, that's <laughs> something I am, I am missing in this couple of years. So, Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Legal Design Podcast. Get to know us at legaldesignpodcast.com 